reading now from the 21st chapter of the Gospel according to John. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring me some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me start out by saying that I'm a fisherman the way I am a golfer. I've been taught how to hold the equipment, and I have on occasion gotten the result that I intended, but for the most part my success ends when I dress for the occasion. One of my challenges with fishing is the amount of time spent doing, to my way of thinking, pretty much nothing. I need to be better at pausing, at reflecting, at looking at the water. But I'm just not built that way. I, I'm not good at being still. I am good at moving. So when we're at the beach, I like to ride my bike or run. One day I was riding my bike across uh, a bridge. I've done it many times since. It's 
sees that every time I cross this bridge, there are 30 people fishing on one side and no one on the other side. And I try to uh, think about what must be going on in their world. I'm not a fisherman, but, but I have to think that fish, some fish, can make it past those 30 hooks can cross under that bridge and actually come out on the other side. I wonder, are fish really deciding beneath the bridge to turn around and go back the way they came? I'm sure one of you will explain to me why this is soon. There must be an explanation. This has been going on for years. It happens on piers. It happens on bridges. 2,000 years ago, it was happening in a boat. They all assumed they'd be on one side of the boat. And I'm sure currents or holes or shadows have something to do with one side having more potential than the other. I'll accept that. Still, I can't help but wonder if we don't get stuck on one side without exploring the other enough. I wonder if we don't just go to our favorite familiar fishing holes and use our favorite familiar tackle and just keep catching or not the same few fish. My father has a boat and at times he can convince me to go fishing with him on it. I know a lot of people don't think fish are very smart. I think they're brilliant. (laughs) I'm amazed that the same fish that's always just too small to keep comes back to the hook and fills his stomach with our bait while the fish that's just too big They're big enough that we would want to keep, always knows to miss the hook. It amazes me. I think they're brilliant. I I think we catch the same fish 50 times. We've never caught 153 fish, though. Who has? Might be one or two in here who have, but most of us have not caught 153 fish. Only the disciples, with Jesus' help, were able to do such a thing. Did you notice that number when I read the Gospel 153? It's rather specific, don't you think? John doesn't say a bunch of fish or around 150. The disciples caught 153 fish. Any number in the Bible is going to get a theologian's attention. One that specific causes a theologian to geek out. There must be a message in there somewhere that John is trying to send us, telling us there were 153 fish in this net, this net that did not tear. Raymond Brown dedicates two full pages of his commentary to this mystery. He offers no less than five different explanations as to why the number might be given. He says they're all speculation. My favorite of the theories is that To zoologists of that time, they thought there were 153 different species of fish in all the world. And so the idea, if that theory is right, is to help us think about the inclusivity that all the fish were invited into Jesus' net. All people are invited into Jesus' net. I like that theory. Whether or not it was all the fish in the world, John's basic point is clear. When Jesus directs the fishing, 
we can catch a far more substantial catch than when we just do the same kind of fishing we've always done. That fishing we're comfortable with. John celebrates the amount of fish that were brought in and he offers a detail that we need to hear, a detail that helps us get more comfortable with the idea of fishing beyond our familiar places. He says the net did not tear. We need to know that. Am I limited fishing? I've been impressed by how people know the details of the sport. They, they know all about fishing lines. My way of thinking, you just get the strongest line available. That way, whatever size fish you catch is caught, right? It doesn't break. That's the way I would think. It's not so simple. If you think two pages is excessive on the number 153, just go to the Internet and research fishing line, which line is best and for what reason. You'll learn about ease of casting and how quickly the line will sink, how much control you'll have over the fish, and that's just in the introduction. I don't know the tensile strength of Peter's net, but the fact that it did not tear impresses John. I think congregations return to familiar fishing holes, looking for familiar fish, for one reason, because we don't know how strong our net is. How tightly are we woven together, we wonder. If we make a big catch of fish that aren't familiar to us, will our net tear apart? The big catch that was directed by Jesus did not tear Peter's net apart. It brought an abundance of fish for them to enjoy. The net held. The disciples enjoyed their fish with Jesus that morning, and soon thereafter they went out fishing again. And this time fishing as he originally called them to do, fishing for people. And they found them. They found people who were drawn to the gospel, drawn to the good news about a man whose command was to love one another, whose instructions were to feed my sheep and tend my lambs, who offered salvation from sin and despair and death. And what was interesting about this crowd that the disciples were able to catch, these early Christians, is that they were diverse. Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, male and female, rich and poor, unlike the world around them, they had Christ in common, which made them one, no matter their differences. It was only when the gospel started reaching places with little diversity that the churches became so filled without diversity. We heard Cheryl read Revelation a bit ago. She spoke of myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands of elders singing together, Worthy is the Lamb. She read every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying God's praise. If we'd asked her to read a little further, read into chapter 7, she would have told us that there was a great multitude of, that no one could count, even more than 153. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples, 
and languages. Sounds like a fairly diverse group. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands, crying out, salvation belongs to God. The book of Revelation gives us glimpses into what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's a picture of angels and people and creatures from all over singing God's praise. And if that's the way it will be then, shouldn't we start practicing for it to be that way now? Aren't we supposed to be part of the kingdom of God coming on earth? as it is in heaven. Josh reminded us Paul's story. Paul, formerly Saul, was very good at his job, his job of harming Jesus' followers. He watched with approval the stoning of Stephen, said of himself that he persecuted Christians with zeal. If Jesus put 153 people before those early Christians, And said to them, they had to keep 152 of them. Saul would have been the one that they unanimously said, he's out. But Jesus didn't ask Ananias how he felt about Saul. Or if Saul would fit in nicely with the way things were going. If he was their type, a fish they could handle in their school. Jesus said, Go find Saul, because I'm going to be putting him to work. And Ananias went to this enemy, this persecutor, this fish that was considered a great threat to how things had been going. And Ananias called him brother. We speak of this story as the conversion of Paul, which it is. It's also the conversion of Ananias. Both are converted in that story. Both converted into Jesus' way of thinking. We have a question that we ask every time we're preparing to baptize someone here. A question about how that person has been converted into Jesus' way of thinking. We ask, do you promise to serve the Lord in union with the church? which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races. And the only answer this church will accept is, I do. There are a lot of places to fish. And a lot of fish to catch. And if we'll just be open to Jesus' direction, we might find 153 of them including some named Saul, some from Ethiopia, and and even an angel or two, all brought together to sing God's praise. Let's let God make it so. Let's do our part to keep fishing. Amen.